James chapter 1. This morning I want to preach a message entitled, Don't Be Deceived. Don't be deceived. We can be deceived about a lot of things. In fact, I, I, I've never seen it. I've only seen the title. I don't, I don't, there, there is very little on television at this point that holds my attention. Uh, but I think there's some show called Lie to Me. I have no idea what it's about. I'm not promoting it. I'm not indicating you should watch it. But that's the title of the show. Lie to me. I, 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 have we gone that far? I guess we have as a society where we're actually promoting the idea of just lie to me. I don't want to know the truth. There are a lot of people who do not want to know the truth at all. And yet as Christians, we have to be ever so careful about not being deceived because we know this. The Bible says this. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free, which would indicate that if you believe a lie, you're going to stay bound. You will absolutely stay bound. Now, I am as distracted by this as you're going to be. But all of a sudden, I, see, I look up and I can't see you. But I went to the eye doctor the other day and he said, look, I'm going to give you the cheapest pair of glasses. That's all you need. You do need something, but I'm going to give you these reading glasses. And he says, you know, you can see now print in high definition. And I'm all about HD. I love HD. But now I can see my Bible to read to you. So good night. 44 years old. This is what I have to show for it. So here we go, James chapter 1 and verse 16, and we're going to read down through to the end of the chapter. The Bible says this, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly Accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listen, listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself. And his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, 
to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. To keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, in James chapter 1, we see three times in which James says to us that we are not to be deceived. Three times he says it. The Bible, anytime something begins to, you, begins to reappear, someone once said a principle in the scripture in interpreting is when you see it once, take notice. When you see it twice, it establishes a thing. And in fact, James right here in chapter 1 alone establishes the fact that we must not be deceived. Paul tells us this about Satan's devices, that we're not ignorant of his schemes. We're not ignorant of his devices. But what is his device? What is the thing that he uses the most? For many of you, we, you know, we, we've grown up in the Hollywood age. We've grown up seeing movies come out of Hollywood. And there's a recent one that's been advertised on television. It just looks so evil and so, so wretched. And yet, you know, you look at that and you see how Hollywood has sort of played up the power of the devil. And I'm not here reducing the power that he has. We know that he has power. But certainly in the light of who God is, in the light of his word, we know that the devil is limited in power. But in your life as a believer, what kind of power does he have? He has one ability and one ability alone. And it is this, to deceive you. That's it. Devil can't walk in here this morning, grab you upside the head, smack you against the wall, throw you around the room, as Hollywood would like to believe that he can do. He doesn't do any of that. There's none of that that's going to happen. What will happen, though, is this, is suddenly, in some way, fashion or another, he is going to, he can get in if you allow him to and begin to try to deceive you. That is his effort. That is what he is all about. He is a liar, Jesus said, and the father of all lies. Now, James points out for us three basic areas in which we should never allow ourselves to be deceived. And the result of this will be strength and victory in our lives. If we don't fall for the lies of the enemy, we're going to have strength and victory. How many want strength and victory this morning? I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to be down and under the, the weight of some kind of defeat. I want to be powerful enough to overcome what the enemy will throw against each and every one of us. And I believe that if we will follow James's advice and not be deceived about these three basic things, these three basic areas of life, we will have victory. You will have victory if you don't fall for these lies. Now, James points out for us in verse 17 that we should not be deceived, first of all, about God. About God. Now, isn't it interesting? I think, in verse 17, let me just read it again. The Bible says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadow. Let me read verse 16 again. He says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. And then he talks about God the Father. Now, we cannot allow ourselves 
to be deceived about God, about who he is, about his nature, about what he gives, about what he does, about who he will be in our lives. Isn't it, I find it interesting that at the very beginning, the one thing that the devil used against Adam and Eve was this. Did God really say? The first attack was not at mankind. The first attack he made was on God. And I want to tell you today that in the day and age that we live in, God is being dragged through the mud in our seminaries. Yes, seminaries, where men and women are supposed to be there learning about God and learning about who he is. His name is actually being brought down. Not only is it happening there, it's happening in our colleges. It's ha- Listen, if you are young, you're, you're in high school, and you're beginning to think about college, you need to arm yourself wherever it is that you might be going. You need to arm yourself with the Word of God and find out what God has to say about Himself rather than what some gray-haired professor sitting there with glasses like this, looking up over his glasses, says to you and says, this is the way it is, folks. I, I, I'm here to take today to tell you that I would rather hear about God from God's mouth himself than some old guy sitting there collecting dust on the top of his head. That part was free. You know, we, we, the, the lie of the enemy, his, the enemy wants to attack God and what God will do and who God is. And many times we fall for the lie of the enemy about God. We begin to think things about God that the Word of God doesn't even teach. We think crazy things, all kinds of things. But one of the things that we begin to think is, well, God doesn't, you know, God doesn't want me to have any enjoyment in life whatsoever. You know, it's, the, it's the, just the weight of Christianity. I, I, don't, I don't find that to be the case. In fact, in the context of the passage we just read... Listen to what he says. Verse 17 again. Notice the terminology that James uses. Every good and perfect gift. I'm just curious. How many of you at Christmas time have ever received the absolute perfect gift from a loved one or a friend or whatever? The perfect gift. Think about it for a second. Think back over all the years, the perfect gift. How many of you? Anybody? All right, a few of you. The absolute perfect gift. Most wonderful thing. Now, those of you who did not raise your hands, you're thinking to yourself, I'm still waiting. (laughs) And that's all right. You know, we always, at Christmas time, we stress about, you know, giving that gift, as they say, that keeps on giving. That just is, it's the perfect gift. Now, some of you have received the perfect gift, from a loved one and from a neighbor or from a friend or whatever it might be. But the Bible lets us know about God, and if you happen to have that happen, it's wonderful and it's a great thing, but the Bible says about God that every gift that comes from him is good and it's perfect. Think about that for a minute. Your salvation is what? It's perfect and it's a gift. You see, you didn't have any part in your salvation. God did. say, but I had to express faith. Yes, but who saved you? He did. You couldn't save yourself. You couldn't pull yourself out of the mess that you were in. There is no way that you could drag yourself out of your sin and somehow make things better. It couldn't happen that way. Maybe you said, well, you know, but I, you know, I watched enough Oprah 
you know, to, to be able to, you know, help me out of my trouble. I, Oprah can't save you from hell. Sorry. I, I, Oprah, I, I, she needs the Lord. All right? Bottom line. She needs Jesus. She's all into everybody else, you know, whatever, whatever anybody says. Oh, right, right, good. She needs Jesus once and for all. Anyway, <laughs> this sermon isn't about Oprah. I apologize. His gift of salvation is absolutely right, it's good, and it's perfect. It will, brothers and sisters, it always is the perfect gift that keeps on giving. You can never outgive the Lord because of his perfect gift. The Bible says every good and perfect gift is from above. Imagine this for a minute. That somehow that perfect gift that you received from your friend that you love so much was actually a gift from the Lord. Was actually God saying, I want you as a believer, as a Christian, as somebody that I love, I want you to be blessed. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be lifted up. Somehow we've gotten into the idea that God doesn't want to bless his people anymore. That somehow, someway, we, we just can't expect there to be anything good in this life. We're waiting for it to come in the next life. No, listen, it's here and it's now. God wants you to be blessed now. And I want to tell you, when you get to heaven, it's going to be so much better and so much more wonderful wonderful and it will be full but the bible says that we've got to believe about him james says that every good and perfect gift is from above and it also goes on and it tells us that it comes from him whatever it is that you have that's good in your life you say my job i've got my job well for many right now your job seems to be a gift so i don't really like my job but you know what it's a gift because you have one and if you don't have one, we need to pray. We need to believe God. But right now, for those who have it, you, see, you need to thank the Lord. You might not like it. You might not like your boss. You might not like the things that you have to do. But you know what we need to do? We need to say, Lord, this is a good and it's a perfect gift. Because what could be more perfect in this economy and in this society than something that provides? So, Lord, thank you. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. The enemy wants to attack his gifts, but the enemy also wants to attack something about God, and it is so important that we understand who he is, and that is his nature. Verse 17 goes on, and it says, Coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. His nature is this. He is the source of all heavenly light. And as such, nothing about him suggests that there would ever be any darkness or wickedness hidden in him. The Bible lets us know that at this point, God dwells in unapproachable light. And yet we also understand that the light came into the world in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, who said on one occasion, I am the light of the world. He said, I am the light of the world. I'm the one who's come to, to light the way and to show the way. I'm the one who has been brought into the world to bring ho the hope of salvation. And brothers and sisters, he is the light of the world. But the wonderful thing about God and the fact that he is light 
is he has now pointed his finger to believers and said, you are the light of the world. I want you to be a light in a darkened world. Listen, we live in a world that is so full of pain, so full of darkness, so full of sin. And what we need is men and women who are willing to stand on the word of God and say, I'm going to be a light for Jesus. There might be those who might try to darken the nature of God and who God is. They'll try to talk God down. They'll try somehow to just put him down. But brothers and sisters, we know if we are standing on the word of God, we know that the word of God tells us that he is the father of heavenly lights. He is the one who has come into the the world to, to shine a light in the darkness where mankind couldn't see. Listen, the people out on the street going after drugs, going after all kinds of pain and all kinds of sin, they're in darkness until they come to the place where they meet Jesus Christ. Watched a testimony of a boyhood hero, baseball hero that I had. Growing up in New England, most of you know I am a Boston Red Sox fan. And I remember the uh, 1975 World Series, I was eight years old. The Boston Red Sox were playing the Cincinnati Reds. And Uh, In game six of the World Series, went seven games, game six, the Red Sox were down, the Reds were up, it it looked like maybe the Reds would pull it off and they would win, and I believe it was the bottom of the ninth, and the Red Sox were up to the bat, and a man by the name of Bernie Carbell stepped up to the plate with two men on, and they needed three runs to tie the game. Uh, and or three runs just to, to get somebody else up to the plate to then tie the game. They, they were down by about four runs at that point. Bernie Carbo stepped up, and he hit one over the center field fence, three-run homer. And then Carlton Fisk got up to the plate, and, and he got up there, and he hit one right toward the foul pole. And it's on video clips all over the place. It's been there for years of, of him going this way as he's going down the line. He wants the, the ball to go over the fence but not go foul, and... It hits the foul pole and a home run and they tie the game and go into extra innings and they won the game but then lost the World Series. But Bernie Carbo, I saw a testimony of him just last night. He shared his testimony. He said that out of, I believe, the 17, not the 17 seasons, he he didn't play that long. 13, I think, maybe 12 or 13 seasons he played. He said there was one day out of those those years in all those games that I played baseball that I did not play high. And he said, I was so, he said, after I hit that home run, he goes, I did something that every kid who wants to play baseball in the major leagues dreams about. He said, I went home that night and I cried in my bed like a little baby. I just cried and I cried and I cried. He said, on that day, he said, I got up in the morning, I smoked pot. In the afternoon, I smoked pot. On my way to the ballpark, I had a beer and smoked some more pot. He said, I was a mess, an absolute mess. I was in darkness. But he said, later on, he said, one of the, the, uh, this one baseball player called me as they began to realize how I was just going on a downward spiral and, and I was doing cocaine and I was getting into all kinds of, of drugs. And he said, I was absolutely addicted. I couldn't find my way out. And he said, I checked into rehab, but rehab didn't even do the trick for me. But he said, as soon as I, I heard from this one former baseball player who used to play for the Red Sox as well, he called me and he said, listen, 
listen, man, you need to come to know Jesus Christ. And he said, I was led to the Lord, and it was when Jesus came into my heart that the light shone into my life, and I was changed, and I was delivered. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that unapproachable light is a light that has come into the world, and it will change men and women's lives. There's something else about him that we cannot allow ourselves to be deceived about. We cannot afford to allow the deception of the enemy to get in, and it is this. James tells us in verse 17 that he does not change. He doesn't change. There are a lot of people trying to change how the message of the gospel comes out, and sad to say there are many who are changing the message of the gospel. It's no longer the gospel. You change it, it's not the gospel. In fact, Paul told the Galatian church, he said, if anybody, including an angel, were to come to you and preach to you a gospel that is different than what we have proclaimed to you, he said, let that one be accursed. In other words, you cannot change the good news. And that's the wonderful thing about God. God will never change. Man tries to change God. Man tries to change the word. But God will never change. And you know what? His word will always be the same. His word will stand forever. The Bible says this about God. I am the Lord and I change not. You can absolutely rely on him. You can depend on him. Listen, I know that there are people around us in our lives that change every day. All of a sudden the rules change, the plans change, things change, people change. And we look around us, we say, wait a minute, that's not exactly what I signed up for. I didn't sign up for that. And yet somewhere along the way we understand that while life is changing all around us and we can't stop it, God will never, ever, ever Change. He is Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you want to count on something, you start counting on the Lord. You want to trust in somebody, you start trusting in the Lord. So often we're looking at each other and hoping that somehow my friend or my husband or my wife or my neighbor or somebody that I know, my coworker, doesn't let me down. And everything hinges on whether or not they don't let us down. Can I tell you, don't put that kind of trust in man. Don't put that kind of trust in anybody who is in your life. You need to trust in the Lord with all your heart, your soul and your mind. He will never, 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 never let you down. He won't bail out on you. He is the Lord and he does not change. You can trust in him. Not only is he the father of heavenly lights, but he is a God who does not ever, ever change. Look, put your hope in the Lord. Put your trust in him. And he will be your closest friend. Don't be deceived about God. But James goes on a little bit later on in this chapter in verse 22 and tells us not to be deceived about ourselves. Don't be deceived about yourself. And here's how. Verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I love James. The book of James. If you ever want some, you know, maybe it is on a, on a day where you're just, you know, you're feeling a little lazy. Go read the book of James. You know, spiritually, you're, you're feeling just a little spiritually, you know, complacent. Go read the book of James. He'll smack you one side of the head and the other. As you read that book, psh, psh, that's how it happens. 
James just says it like it is. He says, don't just listen to the word. Do it. You see, here's the, here's the danger. Understand where I'm coming from. The danger of getting into the mode of just coming to church. Please, come to church. Keep coming. I'm not suggesting you stay home. In fact, I'm suggesting you show up every time the doors are open. But here's what I'm, what I'm trying to say. The danger of just coming to church is we think it's just enough. That it's enough. You know, I go and I hear the preaching and I even say amen. Because, you know, pastor gets a little riled up and, and gets a little excited. And I get a little excited with him. Woo, yes. Amen, brother. But then you walk out the door and you go and live the whole week, the rest of the week, without thinking about what it is that God wants you to do and what the Word of God tells you to do. It could be that maybe you take some time during the week, and I trust that you do, to read the Bible, and you read what it says, and you read about how God wants you to live, what it is that you're supposed to do. You say, well, where am I supposed to go to find that? Go into the New Testament. Find out how Jesus lived. Go read the Gospels. But then go into the Epistles. Begin to read in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. That's a great book, a wonderful book to read if you want to know how you're supposed to live as a believer. Read the book of Galatians even. Get to the end of Galatians chapter 5, and all of a sudden you see about the, the deeds of the flesh. Oh, that's what I shouldn't be doing. Then you read about the, the fruit of the Spirit. That's what I should be doing. You folks, it's, it's not rocket science. God did not make it difficult for us. But so often we come to the Word of God and, or we get into church and we say amen and we, we preach it, brother. We, you know, we get excited and, and all of those things. We walk out the door and then we don't do anything with it. James says, don't deceive yourselves by being a hearer and not a doer. Because the hearer in the end is absolutely worthless until you do. We read later on in the book of James how James says you've got to put action behind your faith. You show your faith. And this is what we believe. We believe we come to Christ by faith, but now the outflow is I'm going to act on the word of God. I'm going to live like a believer. I'm going to live like I believe what's in this book. And I'm going to carry it out in my daily life. So he says, listen, don't be a hearer only. Hearers of the word but not doers of the word. What God wants is he wants people who are going to be doers of the word of God. Find out what the word says. In fact, Paul says in one place, he says, find out what pleases the Lord. Not what pleases you. You know, how many of you, I'm just curious, and you don't need to raise your hand, but think about it for a minute. How many of you almost on a daily basis think about how you can please yourself? You know, whether it's coming home from a long day from work and you get home and you say, you know, I just want to, you know, put my feet up. And maybe you've been on your feet all day. You know, I get that. I know how that is. You get tired. What can I do for me? Yeah, give me the remote. You know, or, or some other thing. Let me, let me just, you know, I need to unwind. And we're all about finding out what pleases us. The Bible says find out what pleases God. Find out what pleases the Lord. Be a doer of the word. Be ready, the Bible says, to give an answer for the hope that you have in you. Be ready to serve him, not serve yourself. 
be a doer of the word. The word shows us what we are supposed to, quote unquote, look like as a Christian. What we're supposed to look like. I'm not talking about the outward appearance necessarily, but the Bible says this. In verses 23 and 24, it says, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I'm just curious, how many of you looked in the mirror this morning? All right, a few, all right, a few of you. The rest of you said, nah, I don't bother anymore. You're like me. I, I don't bother. Nothing I can do about it. Uh, you know, it's just walk out the door, you know. But you look in the mirror. Now, how many of you, you remember what you look like, right? Well, James says this. And this is, it, it's almost a bit silly how James is saying it, but James wants to get the point across that when you read the Word of God, you come to the Word of God, it's like a mirror. It shows you who you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to look like. And he said, when you read the word of God and you walk away from the word, the mirror showing you how you're supposed to live, what you're supposed to look like, and you don't do what it says, it's like a person looking in the mirror and then saying, wait a minute, what do I look like? i got to go back and look. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I look like. He, he's almost, it's almost comical how he puts it. He says, when you read the word of God, you've got to do what it says. Otherwise, you're like that kind of a man or a woman who looks at the mirror, doesn't remember what they look like when they walk away. You see, we need the word of God, but we not only need to read it, we've got to do it. We've got to act on the word of the Lord. The tragedy of allowing this to happen is that the life of Christ can't shine through us when we are nothing more than a hearer of the word of God. The life of Christ, the light of Christ. Do you know that Jesus wants to shine through you? Do you know that he wants to live a, his life through you? You are called to be a light to the world. You are called to bring hope to the hopeless. You are called to bring your story to somebody else and let them know what Jesus has done in your life, how it is that he's changed you, how it is that you have the hope of eternal life. He wants to live his life through you, but that can't happen when we're only hearers of the word. The deception lies in the belief by some that hearing the word really is enough. And James says, not enough, folks. Not enough. The last thing that we're not supposed to be deceived about is this, religion. I know that we have a tendency to kind of talk religion down, that word religion, but yet it's found in Scripture. We often, you know, try to shun that idea because of how the world uses it in sort of this all-encompassing kind of fashion. But yet the Bible lets us know what true religion looks like. If you want to know what true religion is, go to the Word of God and let's go down now to verse 26. The Bible says this, James chapter 1 verse 26, if anyone considers himself religious, and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself. And his religion is worthless. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, the power of life and death are in the tongue. 
I know that often that verse of Scripture is used by many who will preach a prosperity-type gospel. And it is, you know, it's what you say that makes it happen. Your words are very powerful. But, you know, I see that Scripture as being not necessarily having to do with that, but having to do with the idea that somehow our tongue can be damaging to others in the body. There are those around you in the body of Christ that need your blessing and need your help. They don't need you to go home and talk about them. They don't need you to go home and somehow make a mess out of their lives, even though they don't know what's going on. They don't know you're talking about them. But somehow you begin to to tear them apart with your words. Brothers and sisters, James says this. He says, if you cannot keep a tight rein on your tongue, here's the bottom line of it all. You are deceiving yourself. And get this. This is James saying it. Your religion is worthless. If you want to have a worthless religion, let your tongue go at any occasion, at any time, without any kind of filter whatsoever. I I have known those who proclaim to be Believers in Christ, they'll walk into their job. They'll even walk into the jobs with the Bible under their arm. They'll put the Bible down on the desk, and there it sits. And for the next eight hours, what comes out of their mouths makes sailors blush. I remember seeing this one lady who did this on one occasion, and I, I remember thinking to myself, "Man, leave your Bible home, please." Because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible tells us, in fact, that we are supposed to watch what we say. There shouldn't be filthy mouths. There shouldn't be cursing coming out of our mouths. We shouldn't be talking bad about other people and somehow nailing them to a wall just because we don't like the way that they dressed. We don't like the way that they looked. Or maybe they just looked at us too funny. And they just somehow, you know, they... they, gave us some kind of look and we're we're all of a sudden blowing it out of proportion and interpreting that, man, they they must not really like me and let me go home and tell my husband, let me go home and tell my wife and let me go home and tell this person. Listen, brothers and sisters, if we don't keep a tight rein on our tongues, we have a worthless religion. And for those of you who think the pastor was way off, be careful what you say when you go home because you will merely be proving the point. Oh, listen, I, I know there, there are people who they, they say they love Jesus, but, you know, in the next mouth, they're cursing Jesus. In the next breath, what's coming out of their mouths is not something that glorifies him and lifts him up. Brothers and sisters, we are deceiving ourselves if we are allowing our tongue to go unbridled. If you want to continue that discussion a little bit, I encourage you, read James chapter 3 for a while. Spend a little time in James 3. If you're having trouble keeping your your mouth closed, if you're having trouble with what it is that you're saying and what you're supposed to be saying as a Christian, go to James chapter 3. Find out what James has to say about this because he says in verse 26, says again, and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue. He deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Don't be deceived that somehow your Christianity has room for a filthy mouth. That your Christianity has room for gossip. That your Christianity has room for slander. 
that your, your Christianity has room to just say what you want to say because, well, it's how I feel. You know, we're all about saying how we feel. We've fallen for another lie. i got to say how I feel. No, you don't. you gotta, you got to say nothing, maybe. You know the old saying, you don't have anything good to say? Mama, you taught it to us. You don't have anything good to say about somebody? Don't say it at all. And everybody said aloud. Thank you. He says this. He goes on. And obviously, James is going to continue his theme of the tongue later on in this book. You can take time to read that. But James points something else about, uh, out about religion. And it is this. The true and vital godliness in religion leads us to do a couple of things. Verse 27 says, religion that our God, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. First, let me just focus on that last one, the purity of life. We've already talked about controlling the tongue, but there's got to be a purity of life. He says, keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The world is full of pollution. And no, I'm not an environmentalist. I'm not talking about the environment. I'm talking about sin. I'm talking about the world view and how it is that as Christians we can somehow fall prey to how the world thinks. And as a result of that, we can become polluted. Shared with, with the people here Tuesday night who came together to pray, shared with them about how it was that the, the, the people of Judah, in Judges chapter 1, the people of Judah went into the land of Canaan. They went into the land of promise, and there they went out to try to defeat uh, the Canaanites and, and, and drive the people out as, as God had told Moses and all the people and Joshua to do. It was the command of the Lord, drive them out. And yet how it was when all of a sudden Judah saw that they had ch uh, chariots of iron, they backed down. They got scared. And all through Judges chapter 1, you see over and over again, but this tribe did not drive out this people, and they didn't drive out this people. In one case it says, and they lived together. They, they blended together. They just kind of all lived together, and they, they were subservient to them, but, but they lived together. Not at all what God, listen, and, and in the end, what God was saying to them was, if you don't drive them out, you are going to be serving the idols that they have. And guess what? They did. You see, we can become polluted by a world system that says you've got to bow to whatever idol we have. Oh, no, you don't. As a believer, you can stand your ground and you can resist the enemy and you can have purity of life because that is what true religion is all about. It's not about going to church. I want you to come to church, but that's not what it's about. True religion. Keep yourself from being polluted by the world. And the last one is this, that we might have usefulness in life. In other words, that we might be a blessing to others. The Bible says to look after orphans and widows, and James says in their distress, which indicates here that it's not just because you fall into this class of being an orphan or a widow, but because you are in distress. So often we look at that and we immediately think orphan and a widow. There might be an orphan and a widow who are getting along just fine. 
Somebody who was down and out in life, had gone through a time of grief and a time of pain, but had made it out. But now, he says this, our religion needs to look like this, that we need to have a usefulness, that is, we need to be a blessing and look after those who are in distress. Brothers and sisters, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived about God. Don't be deceived about yourself and don't be deceived about religion and what it looks like. We need to go to the Word of God and find out what the Word of God has to say as opposed to making it up as we go along. There are a million books on the market about, you know, what it means to be religious and what it means to be, you know, a true Christian. And many times they have nothing to do with what the Bible says. Brothers and sisters, you want to know what it is that you're supposed to do and what you're supposed to look like as a Christian? Go to the Word of God. Don't turn on the TV. Don't turn on the radio. Don't turn on, you know, to call somebody up and say, I got a problem with this. Help me out. No, go, go to God. Let Him be your teacher. Let the Holy Spirit teach you the way that you need to go. And in the end, you will never fall prey to the lie of the devil. Absolutely never. Can we stand to our feet this morning?